Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1. How I actually learned to preach is uh, a style called tag team preaching. That's not what we're doing today, but if you haven't heard of that, it's, it's where sometimes you'd each get a verse in a passage and you divide it up. It was a whole bunch of us college guys, so a, the pastor would pick uh, a, a chapter and then 10 guys would preach that chapter and you get five minutes on your verse and you'd tag off to the next guy and he'd keep preaching. That's not what we're doing today. I'm just going to read the passage, pray, and then, Lord willing, Pastor Jeff will be preaching the entire passage. But today is the church's 19th anniversary. So we're here together. And this passage that we're looking at in 1 John chapter 1 is the church's theme passage. You'll see it in our logo and on the sign. It's 1 John 1, 3. We'll begin, though, reading in verse 1. If you would, read out loud with me together 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We'll read through verse 4, beginning now. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Again, good morning. Thanks for being here for this Sunday. We are going to be in this passage, 1 John, for a little bit, but we're going to be in many passages this morning. It's an unusual message, so if you're visiting here today, um, I think it's unusual because, at least the way I'm approaching it, I want to take this Sunday to reflect over uh, how the church got here and to uh, help bring people into an awareness of what God's done in bringing us here and why we do what we do, uh, why we are the way we are, um, and hopefully give some direction uh, for those that are wondering about fellowship or maybe have been a part of fellowship. Um, I also wanted to do this uh, because for the last uh, five months, there's been a... Uh, not a hiccup in the church, but a hiccup in my life that took me uh, out of the pulpit and uh, allowed me to be in a position of watching the church be the church uh, under the direction of God, under the leadership of Pastor Phil and, and really all of you being a part of it. And uh, it's been a blessing to watch that. It's been a blessing to see what God has done. It's a weird thing. It is a really weird thing to be out of the pulpit for that long, see people coming to fellowship, come back and know that there are people that have been coming for some time and we don't even know each other. And so it, what a blessing to see God do that. And uh, it's kind of like Pastor Phil said about the offering. Um, you know, we can't, we can't make things happen. Uh, we can only serve the Lord and provide an opportunity and watch what God does. We show up and praise God you show up. And uh, it's an exciting thing to see God bring his people together. I want to take a moment here as well to say 
Uh, it's a blessing to have Dakota and Abby here. Uh, they surprised uh, the family this week. Uh, they let me in on it. And so uh, I could kind of, so for those of you that have been trying to get with us this week, you know why that we've not been able to schedule, uh, because I've been holding off this section of time because I knew they were coming in. So I told Nora, they texted me, I said, well, let me know when you're seated on the porch. And uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, they texted me, we're here. And so I went and got Nora and said, hey, hey Nora, uh, you've been ordering stuff from Amazon? Uh, I said, I think I need some help with packages on the porch. I, it's not lying, because she has been ordering from Amazon, and there were packages on the porch. Uh, so she opened the door, came out and saw those too, and of course, a great surprise. And, and anyway, exciting stuff. So, but the last time, really, we had an opportunity uh, was when Dakota wheeled me out on the wheelchair. And, uh, you know, what a praise. So good stuff and exciting, and uh, I'm going to be a bit, it's going to seem like uh, ADD or, or whatever that acronym is or whatever it is, but I also wanted to say we said something about the Byers family over here, uh, but glad to see you guys here. Uh, how, how old is it, Jaron? Janner. How old is Janner today? How many days? Three, he's three days and in church and already asleep. Amen. <laughs> Just training him right. <laughs> but glad to have family in town as well. What a blessing uh, to have that as well. Uh, a lot of good things. Um, so I say an unusual service because I want to walk through again just some things and hopefully be a blessing to uh, give praise to God. So we're going to take about 40 minutes from beginning to end here just walking through praises to God, giving some doctrinal philosophy as to why we do what we do. So I wanted to go back to the, the days when the church was started, and I'm not going to go too far back in that history, but I will say there came a service where I went to the church that I was in, and I talked to the pastor and let him know the burden that God had placed on our hearts, and came to the service then that we would be resigning from the church we were in to go on deputation for three months, and, and Lord willing, see Fellowship Baptist Church started. Um, at that service, there are several in this building that were at that service, um, and we had been serving there for eight years. We had seen a lot of different things together, and, and there were, uh, of course, always sorrow when you say goodbye, and uh, we had tears. The church family had tears, and, and there was one individual that shook our hand, uh, and as they shook our hands, Nora and mine, uh, they said, I'm so glad you're leaving. I thought, that caught me. That was like a Derek comment. And, uh, and uh, I was like, where'd that come from? And, and it was Joyce Novak. And Joyce is in the blue, four rows back right here. Stand up and wave for everybody, Joyce. No, you don't have to. Yeah. She said, because I'm moving to the Boise area, and I've been looking for a church, and now I know the church I'm going to be going to. So we thought we were going to be coming alone when we first set out to do this, then we walked away from that service saying, hey, praise God, somebody else is going with us. The next week, Joyce, uh, <laughs> Joyce came to me and she said, have you found a place to meet as a church? And I looked at her deer in the headlights and I said, Joyce, I, I haven't even thought to pray about that yet. And she rather indignantly said, well, I have. And, uh, 
And not only said, I have, but said, I have a place for us to meet. And that's where we met for the first month. And the second month, what happened is after that first month, the, the business that we were meeting with had a conference room. And they moved locations about a block away. You could almost see the place where we had been. We moved a block away, and we met there for the next month. And then they came, uh, the owners said, we found out from corporate that we're not allowed to uh, let the building be used for uh, church services. So I think it was like on a Tuesday. And they said, uh, so this coming Sunday will have to be our last Sunday. They've given us one more. And you can imagine the panic. Uh, what are we going to do? And Pastor Chris and I drove around and around. I'm sure those that were a part of the church at that time, we all drove around and looking. Look, we found one place that was willing to let us meet. Cherry Lane Funeral Chapel. <laughs> Complete with the red lights in the ceiling to give you that warm feel. <laughs> oh, and I said, Lord, thank you, but... But but please no. <laughs> I can already hear it. This is a dead church, you know, and things like. I, I, uh, and where might the kids be running around and playing? Oh, look at the coffins. No. Uh. So anyway, I won't go into the whole story, but God provided a place for us right across the street in a big gray cinder block building, concrete floors, or cement floors, concrete wall, center block walls. Had forced air heat, as Pastor Phil mentioned recently. No AC. And uh, two weeks every year, we were at least two weeks, sometimes three weeks every year, we would be displaced in the summer because uh, the owners of the building had um, an event that they did every year. It was in that very first service that somebody, again, took me by surprise, and they said, um, and by the way, when we thought we were going to start alone, there were actually seven families that five moved here, and uh, then two were already living here, if I remember right. And I won't mention them all, but if you were a part of that early group, once you stand throughout the building, wherever you are, if you, and Jody, you get to count because you came. Joyce, Jack, and Linda, Randy Atkinson, he's, I don't see Randy today. Uh, Sterling's okay. That's about the crew that was with us. We averaged 22, we averaged 22 people that first month of August in 2002, and over half of that was the Sterlings and the Bests. And, <laughs> and, um, but then God provided a place for us. But then a lady uh, came to us. Uh, well, a lady approached me after, the, after our very first service, and uh, a visitor, and she said, uh, so I got a question for you. Uh, I said, yes, ma'am. She said, when are you going to build? And <laughs> I would like to say it took me back. <laughs> the carnal side of me said, are you stupid? Uh, <laughs> when are we going to build? What, is, what kind of a question is that? It was about uh, two years into ministry that our church really began to think about. We, we knew God had called us to the valley, but we didn't know where God wanted us to be. I'm going to take a little time to tell this story because I told it to the membership class, but I think you'll appreciate it. Um, so Pastor Chris and I began to look in the valley. If we could be anywhere in the valley, where would we like to be? And so we found a piece of ground that was 14 acres, and you don't know what God's going to do. So we went and talked to the landowner and, and asked, hey, you know, I mean, sometimes it happens, uh, 
What do you think about donating two to four acres for a church on the, on the property? And they said, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to develop it. And, and so, but that was the place we wanted to be. And so we, we um, just kept looking and, and we kept preaching the word of God and kept being faithful. And God kept growing the church and seeing more people at it and people baptized and all the things that a church is supposed to be, is supposed to be doing. And it was sometime later that... I don't know if it was, I don't know how many years it was later, but we had formulated a plan and uh, put ourselves in a position where we can make offer on the land. I don't, Monty, maybe you remember the de- details. I think we said we could spend 400000 and uh, we had approval from the church to move that way. I, I forget how many, no less than four acres maybe. I don't remember. Uh, anyway, so we just kept looking, kept looking, and prices kept doing this kind of thing. And... Uh, Anyway, uh, sometime years after that, uh, the realtor that we had talked to came to me and said, Pastor Jeff, he said, you remember that piece of ground you were looking at? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, it's on the market. And he said, by the way, the developer, uh, it's not 14 acres anymore. They bought the adjacent property and made it 19 acres. And uh, I said, well, great, but you know, I know it's expensive to buy land and all. And he said, well, I just, you should make an offer. You should make an offer because I think you have an opportunity here. Well, I think we had two deacons at the time and Pastor Chris, and I don't know what was up with all of us, but I told him I'd get back in touch with him after I got in touch with our deacons and Pastor Chris, and I could not reach any of them that day. Realtor came, called me back the next day. I'm pretty much a greenhorn at that. I, I'd only ever bought a house, you know, really once. And um, anyway, he called me back the next day and he said, Pastor Jeff, what, what are you doing? You need to get an offer in. And I said, I know, I know. I'm trying to find our guys. I'm having a hard time getting them. He said, well, get it in to me today. And it sounds like a joke because it went through that second day and I did not get them. Uh, I could not reach them. I think Pastor Chris was traveling. Our deacons must have been as well. And I w- didn't want to move. I, I had already had approval from the church, but I didn't want to do it without talking to the leadership group that we had in place because I just wanted us to do it together. Well, third day came, and uh, <laughs> Mike, our realtor, um, he was upset with me. <laughs> and he said, make an offer. And he said, you're not buying it. You're just making an offer. You're just beginning the conversation. And I said, what's the lowest land is going for anywhere in the valley? And he gave me a number, and he said, I, you know, make an offer of, of 250000 And um, I thought, well, since you said make an offer, I'm going to make an offer. I'm going to ask for 180000 And here's what I thought. If by some miracle we got it, nobody would be mad at me. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I told him, and he gave me the papers to, to sign through faxing and all that stuff, and I got it back to him. 30 minutes later, he said, if you want to know the hand of God, they accepted your offer. Amen. Now, here's the story on that. That 14 acres that grew to 19 was valued at $1.5 million when we were looking for it. And, of course, the economy crashed and everything went sideways, But that very piece of property is where you're sitting today. It's the very land and the very place where you are today. 
And I love to tell that story because no man can do that. No, nobody is patting themselves on the back for saying, what a good idea we had, or look what we did. It's a God thing, and to God be the glory, amen? So, and I just, I'm just thrilled to see what God is doing. I think it's interesting. Uh, at the various stages of the life of the church, first Sunday in this building, when we had our, what was that service called? Dedication service. Somebody came to me and said, what are you going to do with the back 11 acres? <laughs> I don't know. We just got here. Smell the paint drying? I don't know. Um, <laughs> But God's good, God's big, he does amazing things, and I want to come back now, and we're going to get, get into this passage, believe me. Um, but in the naming of the church, we talked through what the name of the church should be, and, and we struggled over what it should be, Grace Baptist, uh, um, I had a bright idea, you know, there's Cornerstone Baptist Church, you know, kind of those foundation things, and I had the bright idea of Keystone, and and somebody said, you know that's a beer? No. Uh, <laughs> so probably not. Uh, <laughs> Keystone Baptist. Uh. <laughs> that's a different neck of the woods, I guess. <laughs> but we, we decided, and this is philosophically something we want to tell you, we're a Baptist church on purpose, but I like to say we're not a big B Baptist. And what I mean by that is that the Baptist distinctives are biblical. And if you were to look up the Baptist distinctives, and I won't give them all to you here, but they are simply true and biblical doctrine. Uh, I am, number one and foremost, a Bible believer. And the name Baptist fits those distinctives. Uh, everything from the, the Godhead to soteriology, the, the plan of salvation, eternal security, uh, baptism by immersion, uh, all these different things, and there are more, these things are foundational to Baptist distinctives. However, within the spectrum of Baptist churches, there's a lot of deviance. And uh, so we're primarily and foremost Bible believers and Baptists by distinctives, by those doctrines, but our allegiance is to the Word of God. It was Pastor Phil then that, or excuse me, Pastor Chris then, that as we were talking over names, somehow we came across uh, the idea of fellowship. Fellowship Baptist Church, and that sounded right to us, but it sounded right to us as Pastor Chris particularly came across 1 John 1, verse 3. And 1 John 1, 3, as we read that together, and you've got your Bibles open there, or it did, it says, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This verse encapsulated the Spirit of what we felt like the church was doctrinally and what the church should be. And so from there, we're going to explore into this passage just for a moment and give further understanding as to why we are what we are, why we do what we do. But let's start by this. There's usually three statements I make about fellowship. Fellowship is primarily and foremost, first about fellowship with God. That's what we are about. And we'll talk about this more when we talk about relationships and the church. It is our belief that many churches do get this wrong, that many times people make the church about the lost. And they are targeting the lost in the sense of everything that we do in the service is to accommodate the lost coming in. We believe that's a wrong philosophy. It's about God himself. It's about worshiping him. Matter of fact, uh, in the passage, it says, 
that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. Well, what are we declaring? We are declaring that the God of the Bible is worth worshiping. It's in Revelation 4.11. By the way, I'm not going to, I'm going to be a little unusual today and that I'm going to speed on. I'm not going to wait for you to turn. You can write it down, look it up later. If you're really fast, you can get there. But I've got a lot of verses to get through and to help uh, uh, flesh out these points. But Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord. And it's the Lord who is worthy, no one else. It's the Lord who is worthy of praise and honor. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And all God's people said, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, creatures here below. Praise him, above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. He is worthy. Amen? He's worthy. And it's the Lord that we come to fellowship with. It's the Lord that we come to hear from his word and to reflect on him. John 4, 24 said, says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, for this moment, I'm going to take one of my little hobby horses and pet peeves, but to doctrinally declare that worship is not isolated to a music team. Worship is not simply music. And so you have worship teams. And I'm not criticizing the fact that there are people, we have an orchestra that plays, and you could call them a worship team, but we don't. Are we worshiping the Lord by, by playing our instruments? Yes, but that's not the worship team. This is the worship team. You're the worship team. Now, in the spirit of worship, by the way, I, I, and I'm not throwing stones at that. I got no problem with it. I, I think it's funny to watch in a Baptist church. Somebody comes into a Baptist church and, and they start singing congregational songs and you see somebody go like this or like this. Those, those old school Baptists are going, oh, a little charismatic going on. There's no, you know, the Bible says lifting up holy hands. It's, it, it's, but here's the thing. It's not just about the music. And it's not just about emotion. Worshiping God has at its core him, his doctrine, and at its basic sense, worship is falling flat on your face and surrender to the God who is. That's what worship is. And so when we come together, we try to provide an atmosphere that is devoid of distraction and get our eyes on God. That's what we're trying to do, and we try to do that, as we'll see in a little bit, by opening the Word of God and seeing what He has to say. But it says in, in John 4, 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I'm going to anchor on the last part of that, um, most importantly, in the ice, at least emphasize this morning, that the truth part is that we don't get to make God as we want Him to be. We don't get to define God by our own parameters and say we're worshiping God. There are a lot of people today that are saying they're worshiping God, but it's not the God of this book. 
There are a lot of people, I think, that are offering strange incense, metaphorically, strange fire, metaphorically, as worship to God and doing things in God's name that God would not accept as worship. Our hope is that we will humbly and desperately seek him so that what we do magnifies him in the truth of his word and that we don't add any admixture of error with it, that we simply believe who he is and what he says. So this will come out uh, more later, but let me give you a few other things. There was a pastor who was a mentor to me. It was an internship that I was in, and that was the pastor who I had worked for, and his name is John Davis, and he said, Jeff, your concept of fellowship is a good concept, but make sure your fellowship is around doctrine. Make sure your fellowship is around the teaching of God's word. Make sure that it's anchored in truth and not just a a warm fuzzy of, hey, let's come together. Acts chapter two, verse 42, and you might turn there for a moment because we're going to uh, sit on it just for a little bit. Acts chapter two, verse 42 says, and they continued, and this is often what is looked for or looked to as a platform for what the church should be about. What should the church be about? Well, they continue steadfastly in apostles' doctrine, in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayer. So they continued, they came together regularly, they continued in that fashion, and the idea of steadfastly was without any breaking, they continued to do it, continued to do it, continued to do it, coming together under the teaching of God's word. And then it goes on to say, and fellowship, and, and the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And we're going to talk about fellowship here in just a little bit in the next point. Uh, but it also says, and in breaking of bread. Now, I don't know when we had our first food fellowship at, uh, here, here at fellowship. Um, other churches call them potlucks, but we call them food fellowships. And on Sunday nights, we have finger food fellowships. And sometimes we have fabulous finger food fellowships. I don't know. We do all kinds of silly stuff with it. But I'm going to say that the coming together to break bread is not just communion or the Lord's table. It was God's people coming together and putting their knees under the table, getting to know each other as they worshiped God. Okay, so they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Now, I have to admit, as we've come together and uh, established Fellowship Baptist Church, uh, we were very much deer in the headlights in the whole process. Matter of fact, you heard me say, we've, we've talked kind of funny about the offerings today, but it was about, I think about a month before we had our first service, maybe even closer than that, that Pastor Chris and I, uh, talked through the order of service, and we had mentioned an offering, and we went, oh yeah, an offering. Um, and I guess we better order some offering plates. And then either Chris or I, one of us said, I think I said, because I was usually the one that didn't know stuff, I said, offering plates. Um, what are we going to do with an offering? And I, I just think it's cool that God gave us a treasure. That was Joyce. How long were you treasure, Joyce? Like the first eight years or so, five years? Nine years, first nine years of the church. Joy, and, and what that meant was never at one time in the history of the church that I have, ever have as a pastor that I ever have to deal with any of the, of the handling of the money. God blessed so that really I, I just never took care of any of it. 
But in our very first services, we established a missions program. We established giving to missions. And God has just blessed through the years through doing that. And it's God's doing. I, I've got to tell you, and this is just a side note, side note on before we get to the next point. Um, as Pastor Phil said this morning, it is, it is such a fun thing as a pastor to be able to represent you as you follow the Lord. Um, when we looked at the offering for Pastor John when he was with us, we have no idea what's going to come into that. We have no idea what God's going to do. And uh, it's not uncommon for an intern to get, you know, maybe $3,000 in a summer. And uh, to see him walk away with your blessing and God provide, really, I think all in all, it was over $10,000 that God provided for him this summer. We can't, we can't do that. And no one of you can do that. But look at what God did through you. Amen? And so when he says today that Anchor Bible Church is receiving $12,000, we mailed that on Monday. It's my hope that in the service right now today, actually their service will be over by now, that today Pastor uh, Borkhart would have been able to go to his church and say, hey, by the way, everybody, a church out in Idaho donated $12,000 to our building program. Do you think that would cause them to glorify God? I mean... What an amazing thing to be a part of that. And these are concepts that were a part of the church from the beginning. So it's about worshiping God. It's about serving him. But as we do so, I'm going to give this statement as a platform for all that we do. The Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. I'll say it again. The Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. Now, when I say we're not Big B Baptists, what I partly mean by that is that we don't believe that Baptists are the only ones going to heaven. And I also want to say that we do not stand in a position here in this church and believe that every other church in the valley is doing it wrong. Where we are criticizing every other church about what they're doing. Is there a difference in the churches? Yes. Are some churches teaching bad doctrine? Yes. Our job here is to be as true to the word of God as we can be and to worship the God who made all of this and made this happen and who is the one who is the initiator of the redemption of our souls. We turn to the second point. First of all, fellowship is about worshiping God. Secondly, fellowship is about fellowshipping with believers and it is a biblical concept. In other words, the church is predominantly made for the worship of God and believers as they come together to worship that God. We again look at Acts 2.42, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The word fellowship is a very key word for us as a church. I, I don't remember if this is exactly the word. Somebody's going to have to let me know. I think it's koinonia, uh, and it is the idea, we say this word, these words all the time. We are a partnership. We are a team. The Bible gives other words to what we are. We are the body of Christ. But we are also a local assembly of called out believers. And as a local assembly of called out believers, we come together to partner for the glory of God. That partnership is key. And what that means is, as a flavor of the church, Nobody in this assembly is any more important than anybody else. 
And nobody is less important than anybody else. And what that means, as in the structure, and we'll talk about this when we get into the relationships of the church again, but what that means is there's no big rooster mentality here. There's no big dog. There's sometimes when people come into the church and they see the pastor as the one who's really steering everything. It is a biblical concept that a pastor is an administrator of the body, but he doesn't lord over God's heritage. We work together for the glory of God. We bounce ideas together uh, off of each other and in, in lieu of what does the Spirit, how is the Spirit leading and what does the Bible say and what does God want us to do and we pray over and we wrestle over and we do it together. And I'm gonna say again, if you're here and you have that mentality of there's the, there's the pastoral leadership or there's the leadership and then there's us, I'm gonna smash it with a hammer. Why? Because it's not the concept of the Bible, and it's not the concept that we hold here. It is not an us-them mentality. We, some of you had Emperor's New Groove in, in mind when I said that, didn't you? Smash it with a hammer? Yeah. Uh, my kids did. Um, it is a biblical concept that we are laboring together. Amen? So that's what we're built upon. This isn't, this isn't, hey, that's somebody's job or that's somebody's job. What we do, we do together in our weakness and in our strength. And God help us to have that partnership that looks like what he designed. And I'm going to take you now, you can turn your Bibles here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then Hebrews 10. I want to remind you that the church is not a man concept, it's a God concept. That God organized the church, God developed the church, and the church is not the body of Christ, but the church is part of the body of Christ. These are doctrinal concepts that are important. So you hear people say, well, I can do all that God wants me to do, I don't need to be a part of any local church. And I, I'm not being condescending, but I am going to tell you when I hear those statements, I'm saying, in my mind, in my heart, I'm like, I say, you don't read your Bible or you don't know your Bible. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you there's, there's like 114 or 117 times that uh, church is mentioned in the New Testament and over 90 of those times it's referring to a local assembly. So God designed the church so that we would accomplish the tasks that God has for us for his glory. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been, made, have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And from there, it goes on to underscore the importance that you play, the importance that you are in the body. So it is a fellowship of believers. It is a place where we come together and do all that God has called believers to do, predominantly to worship him. We'll talk about more of this at the end, but 
making disciples and, and baptizing people in the name of Jesus and carrying out the Great Commission. That's going to come up in just a moment. But we come together to build one another up. This has been our Tuesday night series, Edification, that we are in the process of carrying out what God has given to us to do as we fellowship one with another. So what that means, I'm going to talk about our fellowship time a little bit later, but one part of our fellowship time is to know that it's intentional, and here's the statement we often make. You cannot minister well to people you don't know. You have to actually know what's going on in somebody's life to minister well to that need. And many times people are suffering in silence. And I know it's a two-way street. Sometimes people are suffering in silence. They don't tell anybody what's going on. And then sometimes they then expect, hey, nobody's there for me. And, and why is anybody there for me? Well, nobody knows. But then there's also a part of the church that needs to know that needs to get into each other's lives and needs to see how you're doing and encourage you in your walk with God that we build each other up. And I'm, I'm gonna say, that's why we have such an interacted fellowship time and an elongated fellowship time with the idea that we can know you. And can you know everybody in this room? Well, maybe some more than others, but it's hard to get to know everybody. And by the way, you're not expected to do it all. You're expected to do what you can. So we are a fellowship of believers who come together to build the body, to glorify God, to serve him, Hebrews 10, 23, if you would. Hebrews 10, 23. I sure hope this is my water. <laughs> Mine now? <laughs> it's a partnership. Anybody want some? <laughs> Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Would you read this out loud with me? Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. I'm reading from the King James. If it, if it helps you to know what we're reading from. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Read with me now. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You have an emphasis in the word of God that God's people come together. It's healthy. It's healthy. It's what the church is supposed to do. You saw it back in Acts 2.42. And we need to be around each other to encourage each other. By the way, I want to remind you, we need each other not so only you can be encouraged, but so that you can encourage somebody else. Amen? I'm going to say again the concept that someone would have of coming in the back doors and kind of standing off to the side and saying, huh, I wonder if anybody's going to notice me today. I wonder if anybody's going to bless me today. Or one of my favorites is, I wonder if I'm going to be fed today. You know, it's the idea is, is really, it's a partnership. It's a partnership. But to do what God wants us to do, we actually have to reach out into other people's lives, know them, care about them, and that's going to come up in just a moment. But there is a word in here that I want to say about verse 24. It's the only time I know in the Bible where provoke is used in a positive way. It's a cattle prod. It's a stick with a point that says we're provoking each other, but in, unto what? Unto love and good works. Now, that being said, this place is about fellowship with God. It's about fellowship with believers. But this place is not a fortress. 
This is not a fortress mentality church where the lost is kept at bay. This is only for the saved. Instead, we believe that there is an invitation, and we say it usually this way, fellowship is about fellowship with God, fellowship is about fellowship with believers, and fellowship is about bringing the lost into fellowship through the gospel. So that's what we're about, Matthew chapter 28, if you would. And you know this passage well, I know many of you don't even have to turn there, but Matthew 28 is the commission that was given to the disciples and to all followers of Christ beyond them and to the church, and that is the task of carrying out God's word to all nations. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. I know you'll enjoy reading it with me if you would read it out loud. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The idea of carrying out the task that God has given to all of his followers. And that task is to reach the lost with the gospel. So I'll read for you in John chapter 4 and verse 14 where it says this, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The difference there is he's talking about physical water versus spiritual water. The spiritual water here is everlasting life. And he says that anybody that will come to him, he will in you make a well of, of everlasting life, a springing up well that is envisioned as a well of life. John 6, 37 through 39 we read, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, you know the rest of the verse, he that cometh to me, what does he say? I will in no wise cast out. So here's the invitation of the gospel to fellowship, to come in a, into a communion, uh, a partnership with God. It is through Jesus Christ, his son. And he invites all who would come to come into that relationship. And he says, if you will come to him, he will receive you. And then the way that he says it in this passage is that he will never cast you out. You become a part of the family of God, a part of that fellowship, a, a family relationship that will never be broken. It goes on to say, even in, in looking to the future in verse 39, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. If you are here this morning and knowing Christ is your Savior, he sees us as already resurrected and in his presence. It's yet to happen, but it's going to come. And if you know Christ this morning, you are in his family. Read Romans chapter 8. Nothing can take that away. I want to take one more moment here and talk about our fellowship time, especially as it relays around fellowship with believers and fellowship with the lost. Now, I've got a lot of verses here I'm going to read, and I'm going to kind of blitz through them in a moment. But before I do, I want to ask you a question. How is it? that you 
are to be identified as a follower of Christ? What is it about you that is to exemplify that you are a follower or a worshiper of the God of the Bible? What is the characteristic that you are to exemplify? Anybody want to volunteer? Yeah, if you, I heard several of you say it. It is one word, four letters, love. Love. So our fellowship time is, we've been told six ways from Sunday, it's too long for some visitors and too long for some old timers. <laughs> and, uh, and why do you guys do that? Why do you guys spend so much time, to, and, and why do you guys, by the way, uh, when do you eat lunch normally on Sunday? Well, some of you maybe leave right away. Normal lunchtime for many in the church family is around 2.30, 3 o'clock. Why? Because that's when people finally leave. When do, when do many of us get home on Sunday night? Well, for many, it's 10 o'clock or later. Some of you I don't know because I leave. I'm like, you know where the lights are? It's locked. Fellowship. Have fun. See ya. <laughs> but why does that happen? It happens because God's people love each other and God's people enjoy spending time with each other. Amen? And I'm going to tell you, it's a sad thing. It's a sad commentary today that many people find it a chore to get to church. I'm going to tell you something about that. I believe that manifestation is a manifestation of an unhealthy relationship. And it doesn't have to be that way. The Bible says that the greatest factor that identifies us as his children is our love one for the other. So this is the way we say it. Our fellowship time is a time to manifest Jesus. So I have often said from the pulpit this kind of a statement. My goal when I minister to our church family, as much as a sinner as I am, is to magnify Jesus and to love like Jesus so that you would see Jesus and not me. If you were to see just Jeff Estes, you're not going to see any good thing. But if you see Jesus in me, then you're seeing the right person, and that's who we want to magnify so because of that, we on purpose love and try to love and work at loving and keep working at it. As deficient as we are, and can it be challenging? Yes, but we don't quit on it. We keep trying to love each other like Jesus loves us. So listen to these verses. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affection one to another, with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. By the way, if you want to understand Romans 13, verse 8, it simply means this. The indebtedness that you never pay off is, is to continue to love and to love and to love and to love, and you never pay it off. Galatians 5, 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not 
liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Ephesians 4, 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. And then 4, 9. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. 1 Peter 1, 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. By the way, 1 Peter 1.22 is giving the idea that this is what you're doing. You're loving each other. But listen to the command that he gives at the end of it. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, seeing that this is happening, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. The idea you get is even though you're doing it, do it more. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. 1 John 3, 11, all the rest of these, if you go to 1 John, they're all in 1 John. 1 John 3, 11, for this is the message that she heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3, 23, and this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, 1 John 4, 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to what? To love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. If you're going to see love anywhere on the planet, it should be at least in two places, in your home and in the church. If you're going to see the, hello, if you're going to see the love of God anywhere on the planet and you know Christ is your savior, it should be in your home and in the church. And if it's not there, get back to Jesus. Get your eyes back on him. If this church ever gets its eyes off of Jesus, it'll fold like a house of cards. We needed Jesus yesterday. We need him today. And we're going to need him tomorrow. And every time we love on purpose, we are reflecting the God who loves us. And so we sing choruses like this, and you can join me. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Is that a good song? It is, but I'll tell you what. It, the song has, has some 
good poetry in it? Do we want the sound of our love to be pleasing to the Lord? Obviously we do. But how does it actually live? It lives in the doing of love. It lives in the action of love. Sing it one more time and have that in mind as we sing it. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Lift it up. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. This morning, you know a little bit more about fellowship. Hear me well. It's not a fun thing to say, but it's truth. This place is nothing without Jesus. Nothing. Of no value. Taking up real estate on a piece of dirt if it isn't for Jesus. But we thank our Jesus for being our Savior for all who will call on him. Listen, the last thing we can say here as a church family, I feel like I, I would say for all of us, you might walk away from this message and think, boy, they think they're all that. <laughs> no, we don't. What you really hear is a heart of a church family that wants to love him and in our deficiencies wants to follow him, wants to know him better. We are not a perfect church and never will be. But we're going to keep pointing ourselves towards Christ. And we hope that there will be a partnership in the doing of it, that we will do this together for the glory of Christ. And here's the blessing. My daughter said it last night. Aren't you glad that this life isn't all there is? I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. But until we do, let's be a place that's in fellowship with him. Let's be a place that follows him. Let's be a place that draws the lost into following him. God help us to magnify the great God of the Bible.